Hey, so we, we finished our series called Deep Talks with Jesus, which was John 13 to 17. And now um, we're continuing that on, and we're calling this part of the series the climax, okay? So in these couple weeks leading up till Easter, we're just talking about the events that led up to Jesus' death on the cross and then his resurrection. And the reason we're calling it the climax is because this is like, this is the hinge point of history if you are a Jesus follower. But I would even say, even if you're not a Jesus follower, the impact of the life, death, and resurrection, uh, the impact on, on the world is beyond what any of us are even fully aware of. It is, it is the climax of, of history. Um, what Christ has done is still having an impact today. And so we're talking about that uh, leading up to Jesus' death. And this, this week, I'm excited to jump into something Jesus says about his followers that seems kind of risky, if you ask me. And it has implications, it had implications then, but it has implications now if you're a follower of Christ. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to pray before we, we jump into this. Uh, and I'm excited about this message because what Jesus has to say about his witnesses, about his followers, um, in some senses, it puts a lot of weight on us. Uh, and hopefully what that makes us do is it makes us go to God and say, Lord, I, like, I need you. <laughs> like, not, just that I, not just that I want you, like I need you. I need your, the infilling of your spirit, I need your leadership, your guidance, your will. And so I'm just going to pray that we hear him this morning, and uh, I'm excited to jump into uh, one of Jesus' statements about his, his witnesses. Let's pray. Lord, I, I just want to thank you for just your presence, Lord, that you're already here with us and amongst us. Um, as we talked about, I just, there was a sense of your presence yesterday while we had saws going and hammers nailing and nail guns and all kinds of craziness in this place. Your presence was there as well. Just as we gather in your name, your presence is with us, and I thank you for that. And I just pray that even today as we look into your word, uh, that we'd have a real special sense of you speaking to us. Lord, we know that you've given us your word more than, more than just for a history lesson about what you did but as a lesson about who you are now and what it means to be your follower. So help us to be people that hear your voice uh, and that put into practice the way of life you've given us and that you've invited us into. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, witnesses of Jesus, okay? So that's kind of, I want to talk about witnesses of Jesus. And uh, I want to tell you about a, a game that I played a few years ago. So when I was at Kingswood University, I was on the leadership team. And every year... What they would do is they would get all the leaders together, at, like before studies started in the fall, and they would do like, sometimes they would do leadership games to get us thinking about leadership, okay? And we had this one game that uh, we only ever played it once, but it had a really big impact on my thinking when I think about what it means to be a witness of Jesus. And I don't even know if that was necessarily the point of the game, but here, here was the game. So uh, we were broken up into teams, okay, and each team had about six people. And so what they did was uh, you, you had six people per team, so you had pairs of two, two people, two people, and two people, okay? And you were competing against other teams. And in the upstairs part of the, uh, they had this, this area of the campus called Wesley Hall, and it was a great big building. And so the very upstairs, they had structures built out of like plastic tubes with marshmallows, and it was like a whole 
it was like a little mini architectural design, okay? And, and so um, they had, and there was, I think, three teams, and so they had three of these structures built, okay? They're all different colors that represented the team. And so each team, they had to have two people upstairs with the structure, okay? They were like the scientists, okay? And then you had two people that were runners, okay? They had to carry the message. And then you had two people on your team that were in another area of the building, down in the basement, and all they had was they had all the same pieces. They had the plastic tubing, the marshmallows, but it was all disassembled. So the job, okay, so what, you, what our team was trying to accomplish was, and I was one of the runners, so I would go upstairs and I would look at the structure, okay, and, and, I, was, and I was given pieces to go down and describe to the team in the basement how to put together the structure that was upstairs. Are you picturing what I'm saying? Okay. It was a really challenging game because the people that were the messengers, the go-between, like you had to get the picture in your mind of what that structure looked like, and then you had to communicate that to the people in the basement. And the team that had the best uh, remake of the, of the correct model that was upstairs won. But can you imagine, like, it was really difficult when you had all these shapes and stuff going every which way. By the time you get back down to the basement and you're trying to communicate to two different people, and the messengers, by the way, weren't allowed to touch the structure, okay? So the messengers, all that they could do was they, they, they were like witnesses of what they'd seen, and then they had to go down in the basement and had to communicate to the people down there, like, no, no, put that piece of plastic there, and no, no, I actually think that was a red one, not a green one, and, and the marshmallow doesn't connect to both, it just connects to that one, and it was like really challenging to communicate that. But there's a lot of pressure on those people that were like the witnesses, the messengers, okay? Because they had to communicate the message correctly in order to get this structure built. And so Jesus, and, and the reason I'm telling you that story, what Jesus says about his followers is similar to the job of the witnesses in that game, okay? He's, he's, got, this, he's got this vision, okay? So, so what we're, we've been learning in the deep talks with Jesus, Jesus has this vision for what his kingdom will be. So 2,000 years later, okay, here we are in Thunder Bay, Ontario, like we're actually living out the vision that Jesus implemented 2,000 years ago, okay? You, are you with me with that? So 2,000 years ago, Jesus, okay, he, he, he couldn't get his followers, he had a hard time getting them to see what it was that he was trying to communicate to them. They were so like it now-minded, their, their thinking was, was present, it was now. They couldn't understand why Jesus had to go to the cross. They didn't understand the kingdom that he was establishing. But do you know that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he saw Thunder Bay in 2023. He saw this church community. He saw other churches that are in Thunder Bay. He, his vision 2,000 years ago was what his church would look like in 2023 in Thunder Bay and in the U.S. and in Ghana and in South America and in Japan, and wherever. Like, he had this vision for what that was going to look like. His followers in those days, they didn't see all that. They, they were so temporal, right? They were like, well, Jesus, we just want you to fix the problem we're having right now in our lives. But Jesus was casting vision for something bigger than they could fully understand. And, and what baffles me about Jesus is the confidence he put in this group of people that were a very motley crew, okay? They did not have things all figured out. And so I just want you to, we're going to read only a, a, like six verses, I think it is today. But the six verses we're going to read, it's sandwiched in between Peter denying Jesus. Okay, so weeks ago, 
in this series, we talked about Peter's denial of Jesus and, and his public sin and how God worked in him. And so we're not going to read that section. But this is important for you to know before I read this. So Jesus is going to say something in the section of Scripture we're going to read today that's really, really important. He's talking about his followers and their, the fact that they're witnesses. But on both ends of what we're going to read, Peter is failing miserably. Okay? He's like denying Jesus. He's lying about whether or not he knew Jesus. Like, and, and he's one of the guys Jesus is talking about in this section we're going to read. And on both ends of what Jesus is saying, he's got the lead guy, Peter, okay, the one that was the most vocal, the most outspoken. He is just miserably failing. Yet Jesus says what he says and puts a lot of confidence in, in Peter and in all of his followers. We're going to read John uh, chapter 18, verses 19 to 24. So Jesus... If you're here last week, we talked about Jesus was arrested, okay? So um, he's been arrested by this great big, big band of soldiers. There's uh, several hundred of them. And then Peter's brought before the high priest, uh, or Jesus is brought before the high priest, and he's being questioned, okay? And this is, this is where we're going to jump in. So verse 19. So then the high priest, the high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. And Jesus answered him. I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? And this is the part we're going to hone in on. He says, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, is that how you answer the high priest? So he smacked Jesus on the side of the head, okay? Jesus gives this response, and then he gets a smack in the head by this guy standing beside him, right? You don't want to go down in history as the guy that smacked Jesus in the head, okay? That's what this guy did. So then Jesus answered him, if what I said, and he's so calm about it too, he says, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. So, uh, before we jump into what, what I really want to focus on with Jesus um, talking about his witnesses and the role of a witness, I just want to point out that a lot of times Jesus is, is talked about a lot of times as if he's some kind of rebel, okay? You, you see him here, he kind of like responds back to the high priest and then he gets smacked in the head for it, right? And people highlight that a lot because the high priest, if you're a Jewish person 2,000 years ago, you never say anything sassy to the high priest, okay? Anybody have kids that give you sass, okay? Anybody ever given sass to someone else? Anybody? Let's just be honest today. Confession time. How many of us have ever given sass to someone? Let's just be so, okay. Some of you guys are awesome. Randy's never, okay, I was going to call you out, Randy. Never given sass. <laughs> Elaine's like, Randy. So, say, if you did that in those days, if you spoke against the high priest, you were in tons of trouble, Okay? So what Jesus said, he actually spoke truth because the high priest, the way that he was questioning Jesus was actually not according to protocol. He, he was kind of off base in the way that he was going about it. And Jesus points it out and he gets smacked in the head for it. It's different. If you're, for those of you that are like Bible scholars, maybe you're remembering a different scene. So in Acts, when Paul is brought before the high priest, he speaks back to the high priest. He's kind of sassy, Okay. Uh, but he didn't realize at the moment who the high priest was. And when he's called out on it, he actually apologizes. Even though Paul was totally in the right in, in the book of Acts, this is, you know, uh, a couple decades later, 
he, he actually apologized and says, I'm sorry I said that. I didn't realize that he was the high priest this year, okay? But you notice Jesus doesn't apologize because what he said was truthful. But I want you to know this, that like, Jesus, he does not disregard the law, okay? So all of the law, like, and, and some of us are reading through the whole Bible right now, and, and reading through the Old Testament is a real challenge. You get to Leviticus and Numbers, and there's some challenging, there's like 613 laws, I just want you to know, Jesus actually perfectly fulfilled all of those laws. He, he never failed or faltered one time. He was completely and totally sinless. And, and the, the crazy thing with Jesus is that he's one of those religious people. You ever been around somebody where you feel like they're a little holier than you and you're kind of scared to mess up? Anybody ever? That happens to me. I'll get around some people and I'm like, I just don't even want them to know, like, maybe the movie that I watched last week or something, because I'm like, I just feel like they're going to, like, judge me and, and, like, look down on me or something, right? Um, and and you, you get around that. So Jesus, the thing about him was that he is totally perfect, totally sinless, but sinners, the worst of the worst, were drawn to Jesus like bees to honey. Like, they just, like, he, he didn't have this holier than thou that made you feel condemned, Jesus' holiness was the kind of holiness that you get around him and, and you would be convicted because of a realization of his love and his grace and his mercy. So if you were convicted about the movie you watched last week with Jesus, it wasn't because Jesus is like, you're a mess up. Like, you would get around this, this perfect Jesus, okay? And the conviction would draw you closer to God. That's the kind of holiness. But it's important to know that Jesus was not, he's not a rebel in the sense of like, he wasn't just scorning the laws or like all oh, this stuff's meaningless like he perfectly walked in all of that stuff christine kane she's a she was a speaker at a conference i was at recently she said jesus ate with sinners but he didn't become one jesus ate with sinners but he didn't become one jesus is the like he is the perfect example of what it looks like to be totally perfect righteous blameless but he could eat with the worst of the worst and reveal to them the grace the love the mercy, and the compassion of God. That's, that's who Jesus is. And I believe that's what he is calling all of us to be, is the kind of people that, that live like him. We walk in holiness. We walk in righteousness. We walk away from things that are sinful. But we're able to invite other people into this relationship with God in a way that doesn't make them feel like, well, we're, you're, you're being looked down on or you're being condescended to. Jesus models that perfectly, okay? And so here's where I want to zero in on today. Uh, in verse 21 of the, of the chapter that we read, I think I only put half of it up there. I'm going to read the first half, but leave that on the, on the slide. Jesus says, and he's saying this to the high priest, he says, I've spoken openly to the world. I've always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I've said nothing in secret. And listen to what he says. He says, why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Okay, and here's why I want to focus on this, okay? So when Jesus is before the high priest, he knows he's about to go to the cross, okay? He's about to be killed. He knows he's going to rise again, but then he knows he's going to ascend into heaven to be with the Father. He's leaving. And look at the confidence he has in his followers. He says to the high priest, he's like, why are you asking me questions? He says, uh, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. So think of that game that I talked about at the beginning, okay? 
the guy that was, I was, I was one of the guys that was running back and forth, and I was trying to communicate what I saw upstairs to the people that are downstairs. I'm trying to tell them how to build this architecture that I saw upstairs, right? So it was important that the message, what I saw, was in my mind, it was in my heart, and I could communicate it to the people that were downstairs. Jesus is saying to the high priest, he's like, why are you asking me questions? Ask those who've been with me. They, they've heard what I said, and they know what I said. Now, here's a question for you. Are the words and the message of Jesus deeply, this is on the screen, deeply planted in your heart? Does Jesus dwell within you by his Holy Spirit? Maybe I didn't put it up on the, maybe I didn't put a slide in there, but I'll, I'll just repeat that, okay? Are the words and message of Jesus, are they deeply planted in your heart? Does Jesus dwell within you by his Holy Spirit? So what Jesus is saying, he's got all this confidence to the high priest. He says, ask those followers of mine. They know what I said. He had this confidence that they were going to carry on his message. Because Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he, was, he could foresee Thunder Bay in 2023. He could see his church. And he was saying to these high priests, he's like, hey, those that follow me, they know my message. Ask them. And the question I want to ask us today is, do, do you know, are the, are the words and message of Jesus deeply planted in your heart? Does Jesus dwell within you by his Holy Spirit? And, and as a reminder, if you're starting to feel like you don't match up to this, like we talked about, Peter, this passage we're looking at is, is, is sandwiched in between Peter denying Jesus. That, Jesus is talking about Peter. Peter's like lying. He's like, I don't know Jesus. He's freaking out in the courtyard. He's making a fool of himself. And meanwhile, Jesus is speaking to the high priest, and he's saying, ask my followers. They know my message. Okay, so if you feel like you're disqualified because of your, your failures, like just know God sees in you what you don't see in yourself. Okay? So don't, don't let this question be a discouragement, but let it be a challenge. Are the words and message of Jesus deeply planted in your heart? Does Jesus dwell within you by his Holy Spirit? Paul said in Galatians 2, 2 chapter 20, or chapter 2, verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Like that's kind of, like as a follower of Jesus, if you're a follower of him today, that's what you're living towards, okay? Is, is you're living towards this, this life where it's like, it's no longer me, right? It's Christ who lives in me. It's not, it's not Patrick. It's Jesus who lives in me. It's not Brian. It's Jesus who lives in me. It's not Hannah. It's, Je it's Jesus who lives in me. It's no longer me. Like, I've become more like Christ because of his spirit dwelling inside of me. That's what Paul was talking about, and that's what we live towards. Uh, I don't know if you know what a rule of life is, Okay. Uh, but I, I just want to encourage each one of you to think about what is your rule of life, okay? And a rule of life, all it is, is it's a rule. A rule of life is a commitment to live your life in a particular way. It is meant to be crafted with prayer and discernment in partnership with God as you consider the way that God made you and the values that he has inscribed on your heart. And, and here's what I want to encourage you with. As we think about, like, what Jesus is saying, he's saying, my followers, the, the, my message is in them. They're going to carry this on. He was going to be with the Father. He had full confidence 
that his kingdom was going to be established, the church was going to go forth, people that didn't know Jesus were going to know Jesus because his followers were going to, his message had become a part of who they were, how they thought, and they took that and they carried it to everywhere they went. So you, you're a follower of Jesus. If you're here, if you're here today and you, and you would like identify as his follower, have you thought about like, what, what is like the purpose of my life? Okay, so a rule of life became popular. It was like a couple hundred years after Jesus. Uh, a bunch of Jesus followers got together and they were like, hey, we should come up with like, we should describe what our rule of life is, like our purpose for living, okay? And so that, I'm just going to challenge you with this. We don't have time to, like, go into detail about how to, how to make a rule of life, but I just want you to be thinking about it. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, his name is Jason, and he, he's a pastor of a church in southern Ontario. He sent me, this is just, like, a really brief snapshot of his family rule of life, and you can be on the next slide, Andrew. He said his family, they've prayed about it, and, and their rule of life is that they would be who God has created them to be to inspire other families along the way by loving and living like Jesus. So their family, and they've got like five kids, okay, the rule of life they developed, they're, they're, they've just come up with, they're like, here's our purpose, okay, our purpose is to point people to Jesus. Next slide, my rule of life, this is something that uh, has become really meaningful to me, when I was going through Bible school, I had to give a testimony of what I felt like the purpose of my life is, and, and this, is, this is it, to live in such a way that I will one day stand before Jesus and hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. So why am I showing you this? Because I, I think what Jesus is saying is serious. He, he wants his followers to carry his message to be witnesses of his message, to be people that are filled with his spirit and take his message everywhere. Not, not just if you're a pastor, not if you're up, just up on stage as a worship leader or somebody who, who necessarily comes up with a mic and prays. As a Jesus follower, that we actually are his witnesses. So when I think about my life and the decisions I make, I, I, think, I think through this filter of like, are, are these decisions, if, if I say yes to this opportunity or this, you know, Thing that I could say yes to, is it going to lead towards me um, hearing Jesus say, well done, good and faithful servant? So as a rule of life, like that's how I filter decisions. Do you, do you have a filter like that? And I, I just, I don't, I want to encourage you, like if you've not thought about like making decisions with like putting Jesus at the, at the front of it, I would encourage you to do that. You don't necessarily have to write something out exactly like I did, but like what Jesus is saying here is so profound because he's saying, my followers know what I've said. He had confidence that they were going to carry his message on. One of the crazy things uh, about Jesus is that he never, he never wrote a book. Like, he didn't actually pen any words, okay? He didn't publish a play, right? He never wrote a, a play that was you know, super influential and tons of people saw and it like impacted society. And, and Jesus' followers, they were a bunch of fishermen who people saw as hazardous. Okay, my favorite artist, Lecrae, that's, what, that's how he describes the followers of Jesus. He's like, they were just a bunch of fishermen that people saw as hazardous. So the reason I'm saying that, that Jesus never wrote a book or, or a play or anything like that, he took his message that God had given him and he imparted it to his followers. And then he said, now go. Take this, take what I've given you and just share it everywhere you go. The richness of community, the, the gathered people that, that understand that they're loved 
by the creator of the universe and they can be in relationship with him. Jesus said, take this, this beautiful relationship you have with God and with others and just go start communities and start sharing that all over the place, all over the whole world until everybody hears. Go and do that until, until every corner of the earth has encountered the good news of Jesus. That was the mission. And, and he didn't leave them alone. And it wasn't, it's more than just head knowledge. You, you could take the, the Bible, and you could memorize all of the words in red. In my Bible, um, Jesus' words are, are in red. Like, you could memorize all the words of Jesus in red and still not even come close to catching the heart of what Jesus is communicating here. Because what he was saying about his followers, when he was talking to the high priest, he was saying to them, like, they know my message. It was more than just being able to recite Jesus' words. It was like the, the, the life and thinking of Jesus had been imparted to these followers and now they actually started to think like Jesus because they were filled with his spirit. That's, that's what the desire of God is for us, his followers. And I'll just correct one thing. It wasn't, when Jesus said this, it, it wasn't quite uh, fulfilled yet that they were filled with his spirit. Like it was, that happened after uh, Jesus' resurrection and the Holy Spirit came upon his followers. But today, as followers of Christ... We're filled with Jesus, and so what we live towards is what we see Paul writing about in Galatians that we had up on the screen. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So here, here's an illustration. Uh, I read a book on my, when I went to that uh, trip down to the States for church planting, I read this book, and it was actually a business book. The, the authors that wrote it, um, their names were Ori Baffman and Rod Beckstrom. It's called The Starfish and the Spider. And... Uh, it was a book that was written for businesses, but I could not help but see the parallel in God's kingdom, okay? And I'll just give you the Coles notes of, of this book, The Starfish and the Spider. So, do you know what the difference is between a starfish and a spider? Anybody? So, a, a starfish, okay, if you, if you take a starfish and you cut all of its legs off, that all becomes, they all become starfish, okay? If you cut a starfish... Right down the middle, it becomes two starfish, okay? A spider, if you want to kill a spider, which most of us like killing spiders if they're there, right? Like, unless you're, um, Vicky's downstairs maybe. She, she likes me to kill the spider. Uh, but, <laughs> but we like the spider. If it's in our house, we want it dead, right? But if you want to kill a spider, you take off its head. Or if you cut off a couple of the legs, then the thing's going to go limping around and it's not going to be able to move very well, right? So, like... Killing a spider is, is quite easy, whereas a starfish, it just reproduces and becomes more starfish, okay? Just track with me. Don't, just stay with me here, okay? So the way that these authors were talking about starfish and spider, they talked about businesses. And so anybody remember uh, Napster? Okay, some of the, I feel like I'm dating myself when I say, when I make a reference like that, because this was like early 2000s, uh, before Facebook. You know that there was something before Facebook? shocking, okay? <laughs> what? So, um, back in the day, okay, in the 90s especially, if you were going to be um, a, a successful musician, you had to sign with a record label, okay? So, there was like, in North America, there was like four or five record labels that were really powerful, and they basically controlled the music business. But then Napster came along, and Napster was this like person-to-person -person sharing music platform online, Okay? And it was illegal, but everybody loved it. Okay? And, and I remember as a Christian, I was like, I probably shouldn't be downloading songs off Napster. 
So I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to do that. But then whenever my friends would download the Napster songs and give me the CD, I would use the CD because I was like, well, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like download the song. And I, it would be rude not to take the gift, right? So I don't know. That's probably wrong. But so that was all going on. So that's like early 2000s. Okay, and so Napster, what they were doing was illegal, and these really powerful record labels ended up like um, bringing a court case against Napster, and they won. Okay, so Napster was shut down. But the idea was birthed that music could be streamed by just anyone. Okay, this like this took off. So here, here's the here's where the analogy comes in. Um, the record labels, they're like the spider. Okay, you find out their main base of operations, you take that out, it's like cutting off the spider's head, you shut down, okay? Napster was a little different because it, it gave power to the people to just get songs, to download them, and to share them with everybody. Artists were upset, the record labels were really upset, but this idea was birthed that people realized, they're like, I don't have to, I don't have to like download a CD, or I don't have to buy a CD for one song that I like and 14 songs that are just trash. Like, I could just, I could just take the one song that's awesome, and this like spread... And so after Napster was shut down, there was all kinds of different um, ways of streaming music that were birthed after that. And it was like a starfish organization because it couldn't be killed. Once people caught on to the fact that music could be shared, it just took off like wildfire, okay? It was, it was crazy. I want you to think again, okay? So to, to make the illustration uh, make a little more sense to you, think about Walmart and think about Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace, okay? Walmart is like a spider, Okay, if, you, if you take out the main base of operations, you could attack Walmart, shut it down. It's a big organization. It's hard to think about that, but it, it operates like a spider. Whereas something like Kijiji or Facebook Marketplace, anyone in this room, if you want to sell um, your computer, you can go and do it on Marketplace, and you're the only one that makes money from that. It's just shared out, okay? So it spreads, and, and it gives power to the people to go and do the thing that they want to do, and they don't have to like rely on these great big organizations anymore. It's, stay with me. This is super important, okay? It's, it's interesting stuff. I'm reading this book, right? And I'm like, this is incredible. Like, I was, I was seeing God's kingdom, and I was seeing the way that Jesus desired for his kingdom to be uh, expanded, to be, to be taken out to the masses. One, one more um, sort of businessy type example, and then I'm going to uh, bring this to a landing. I want you to think about AA, okay? AA, 12-step recovery programs, when, when the founders of AA started uh, the 12-step the, the program to help people get off of um, alcohol abuse, they decided to just make it available to everybody. Do you know that when AA tries to figure out how many people are going through their AA programs, they have no idea. They can't because anybody here in this room, if you want to start an AA program, you can just go ahead and start one. And, and AA has actually spawned into Narcotics Anonymous and all kinds of different 12-step recovery groups. We use one here called Overcomers. It's not AA, but it's a, ver it's a variation of it. And it's not, no one's coming after us because we use some of the AA material to, to make Overcomers because it was just, it was just like the idea was birthed and it was sent out to people. And, it, and, and the, the guys that started AA just had this vision of like, we don't want people that are struggling with addictions to have to go to professional psychologists and, and, and like, it, like it, there's only so much you know, available for that. We want people just to get free. And they had this, this crazy idea. They're like, maybe addicts can help addicts. Maybe people that are stuck in this, this like cycle of addiction can help other people that are stuck in the cycle of addiction just by getting together 
maybe a couple times a week in a church basement with gross coffee and sitting around and telling each other how bad they are and just like working through it. Like maybe, maybe if we just like give this to people, maybe it'll just like take off like wildfire. And it has. It is literally all over the world and it has spawned into all kinds of different groups. It's more like a starfish than a spider because the, the, the founders of it have lost control. That's what Jesus had in mind for his kingdom. Okay, so, so now, not to like a business, but to, to history. Uh, this book, document, all the way through the book, they, they tell the story, and they keep referring back to this, of when Europeans came to South America and basically took over, okay? So if you're, if you're a history person, you know a little bit of the history. The, the Spanish came over to South America, and there was a few civilizations, okay? There was the, there was the Aztec peoples and the, in, and the Inca peoples in South America. And what the Spanish did was they came, and these were very sophisticated um, groups of people, and what they did, and there was highways, and there was rulers, and there was all, it was a very organized, sophisticated empire, and the Spanish came in and basically cu- cut off the heads, sometimes literally, of the Inca and the Aztec people, and it's a really sad part of our history. Okay? But there was another group of people called the Apache Natives, and they were in like kind of northern South America and then into um, the southern U.S., this Apache group of people. This is fascinating. Okay? The, for hundreds of years, the Apache people could not be defeated, and the reason why was because they didn't have an organized structure of leadership where they had like a main operating center. There was no main highways. There was no main operating centers. They, they were a group of people that were, were spread out. And the leaders, okay, this is, this is where this, this touches in on, on what I believe Jesus is calling us to be. The leaders, they were called Nantans or Nantan. And I, I read the book. I didn't listen to it as an audio, so now I don't know the pronunciation. So if you're like a really good history buff and you know that, just forgive me. So the Nantans, okay, they were, they were like the spiritual leaders of the Apache people. And you know what's crazy about these Nantans is that the way that they led was by example. So the, the, the Apache people, they were spread out all over. They didn't have like a main place. So, so when, the, when the Spanish and then when the later you know, Europeans and as America was forming were trying to defeat the Apache people, they couldn't because every time they would come in and, and kill what looked like a leader, this Nantan, someone else would rise up in his place and would lead by influence. And, and they didn't, like the Apache people, there was no term for, like, you should do this. There was no, like, coercion that way amongst the people because the people, they, they followed if they desired to do so. So for hundreds of years, the Apache people were just undefeatable because they had this, this leadership system that was just, they, that the, the, the Europeans coming over, trying to take over, couldn't figure out, right? And, and, and leaders would rise up but, and lead by influence. If you know the name Geronimo, he was a Nantan leader of the Apache people, okay? It's really cool history, really, really fascinating. But their system was brilliant. And, and they were defeated in, I think it was 1914, the early 1900s. And, and the way they were defeated was that the Americans figured out, if we give power to these Nantan people, a pa- the kind of power that will centralize them, they'll try to hold on to that power. And if they hold on to that power they're going to be easy to defeat. So the Americans, what they started doing was they gave cattle to these Nantans, these spiritual leaders, and then they started getting wealthy and rich, and they tried to hold on to this wealth. They tried to keep it for themselves, and then, and then they were easily defeated after that. It was a sad story. But for hundreds of years, they were undefeatable. And, 
And, I'm, and I'm, as I'm reading this, all I'm thinking about is I'm like, Jesus, that's, that's what you've called us to be as your followers. So, so Jesus says to, says to the, the high priest, and this will be up on the slide again. He says, uh, why do you ask me? So why are you asking me these questions? You know, you've got me standing before you, and, and you've got me answering, you know, these questions. He says, why do you ask me? Ask those who've heard me what I said to them, because they know what I said. So Jesus, Jesus launched the perfect organization, if you will, because Jesus is the head, okay? If you want to think of it in terms of like a spider and a starfish, in some ways, they, like his, they tried to chop off his head. He rose again. He defeated death. What Jesus did on the cross is why you and I can have a relationship with God. He did what no one else could possibly do. He made it possible to have a relationship with God, for us to be forgiven of our sins. But then he said, he said to his followers, which he's saying to you and I today, okay, 2023 in Thunder Bay, he's saying, this message, this life-transforming message that you could be reconciled to the creator of the universe, I want you to take that and I want you to spread that to everyone and everywhere, all over the place, wherever you go. And our organization as followers of Christ, it looks more like a starfish than it does a spider. Because you think about Transformation Church, and I was thinking about us, and, and lately it's been exciting, there's like momentum, we're seeing growth, we're seeing God do some cool things. But I just want to ask you this question. What if, like, what if tomorrow Transformation Church just ceased to exist? Starfish, right? But like, what if, what if it just closed? What if, like, for whatever reason, I don't know, laws changed and we're not allowed to meet anymore as churches in Canada? Or what if, I don't know, some crazy thing happened and, and just Transformation Church is just no longer, it just ceases to exist. Does the church of Jesus cease at that point? Like, does Jesus, like, stop having influence in the culture, in the country of Canada? Is Jesus shaking in his boots because he's like, oh, another church closed? No. Like, he actually designed us to be like starfish where it's like if something gets cut off and it, it multiplies, it grows, it continues to expand. So do you, as, as a follower of Christ, like, is, is Jesus' message deeply planted in your heart? And more than that, not just his message, like, where you can recite his words, but, like, does the Spirit of Jesus live inside of you in such a way that wherever you go, He's there? Wherever you go, His influence is there, His Spirit is with you. My dad used to always say, he's like, you know, wherever my feet go, there Jesus is too. Like, I wanted to live that way. But this message, it's so important that you hear it not thinking, well, that means I have to be, I have to preach or be a pastor. Like, if you're at Napa Auto Parts, okay, or if you're at Home Depot or you're home with your kids or you're with your family, that like the Spirit of Jesus is in you, and I believe He wants to use us to influence wherever we go and to be a part of community wherever we go, right? Like, He has set us up like this starfish operation. Here's how I want to uh, close this. I just want to ask you just to think about, do, do you have like a rule of life like we talked about earlier, like, have you developed this conviction in your mind and heart of what your specific call is? Like, how do you live into God's plan for Thunder Bay in 2023 or for wherever the Lord's calling you next or wherever you actually live? Like, how do you live into that? Some of you that are here, maybe God is calling you into ministry. Maybe He's calling you onto the mission field. Maybe he's calling you into um, 
some sort of like official ministry position. Yesterday, okay, we had this work, work um, day, and like I said, there was like 30 people. Um, Matthew Templeman up here, back, uh, he, he had, he's got this vision that he wants to do work days like that on a regular basis with, with people and where they would come and do a project, but then they'd break in the middle of the day and do like a little Bible study, just sharing each other, with each other, and, and then they'd go back to working. So we did that yesterday, and we had this, this guy, this young guy, Josiah, was here, and Josiah got up, and he shared just, just for a couple minutes of his story, and he was talking about how he just like delivers auto parts here in the city somewhere, and, and he just had this, he just senses that God wants to use him wherever he is, and he's got this guy that he's been working with for quite a while, and one day he felt the Holy Spirit prompt him to tell the guy, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you. And so he, he was nervous about it, and he shared that in the group yesterday. He just kind of shaken a little bit and just like scared of how that would be taken. But he said it, didn't think much of it. Fourteen months later, um, it was this week, this guy was like, told him how meaningful that was and what it was doing in his heart, and he just couldn't get it out of his mind and just had this impact on him. And I was like, I'm like, that's it. Like, that, it's not... Not, the call isn't everybody becomes like a, a preacher or an official missionary, but that we've actually got the message of Jesus deeply planted in our hearts that wherever we go, we're listening to his spirit. We're asking him, like, what is it you want me to do? How can I be a part of what you're up to? You know, as a pastor, I can't be in every auto part place. Like, when, when people have the mentality that, like, oh, the pastor does the ministry, I'm like, oh, that's so limited. Like, I'm, I'm so less skilled than a lot of the people in this room. If, if I'm the guy that's responsible to do all this stuff, there's not going to be a lot that happens in the city of Thunder Bay. But if we catch what Jesus is talking about where we're like, hey, we're, we're like starfish organization. If, if, our, if the leader gets taken out, we just multiply because that's how Jesus designed it. If the system that we see as it is somehow ceases to be, that doesn't stop Jesus' kingdom from moving forward. But the, the question is, so to go back to what Jesus says in verse 21, he says, ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. Are you one of those people? Like, do, do, you, do you get it? Do, do you hear, have you heard Jesus? But then have you internalized? Have you invited Christ in? Are you filled with his spirit? You know, Peter, on both ends of this, he's off messing up. And Jesus is saying about Peter, he's like, Peter gets it. Even though Peter was in the courtyard lying, and, and in Luke we find out Jesus actually literally, he could actually see Peter because when, when Peter denies Jesus for the third time in the book of Luke, um, it, it actually says that Peter turned his face and he looks and he sees the Lord. So Peter, he's like asked a question, he's standing around the fire and they're like, hey, did you know, we think you know Jesus? And he's like, no, I don't. And then he looks over and then he's got Jesus just like, <laughs> right, and, and then Peter like runs off and he weeps bitterly. He runs, but so as much as there was like sadness and disappointment in Jesus for what Peter had done, P Jesus was also confident. He's like, no, Peter gets it. He knew, he had full confidence of what Peter would walk into one day. Just like he's got confidence about you and I. And so are you living in surrender to him? I'm gonna invite the team to come up and uh, we're gonna close with, with a couple songs and, and just as we close, I just want you to, we're going to stand and sing a couple songs and just to ponder, like, specifically, what are the situations God has put you in strategically? What family situation, what work situation has God put you in? And then, and then what gifts has God given you? 
and, and I'm not talking about just, like, sometimes we think about gifts in the sense of, like, what's useful on a, on a Sunday morning, but I just mean, like, what gifts, what God-given abilities and gifts has God given you that He desires to use to just bring glory to Himself and to point people to Him? Like, what, what has He given you? And have you just, like, do you live in surrender to that? Like, are, are you one of those people that's like, God, I just live in total surrender to you? And so let's pray. And uh, let's just stand together if you're able, and we'll pray and then close with these songs. Jesus, you, you place a whole lot more confidence in us than we have in ourselves pretty easy for us to have confidence in other people. We see the giftedness of those around us and the ways that they excel in whatever it is that, that they put their hand to and then we compare ourselves and just think, oh, I don't match up or, or whatever it is, but Jesus, you, you place a lot more confidence in us than we do because your confidence is actually in your spirit in us, not just in us and our faulty ways of thinking, but in your spirit doing a renewing work in us and making us like you. you. You place confidence in that. Help us to have the same confidence, Lord. And God, I, I, I believe as I look out into this room that you've, you've uniquely gifted people with gifts that you desire to use for your glory, for your purposes, for your plan. And Lord, I, I also think that there's people in this room that have given into discouragement and lies, have given into the lies of uh, feeling inadequate or unuseful or unworthy and they've, they've let that dominate their thinking which dominates actions and I just pray today Lord that, that lies would be broken and that Lord I, I believe you're speaking specifically into some people just encouraging them to take steps of faith encouraging them to say God has given me this gift of being either a good parent or uh, a great cook or a great carpenter or an electrician or someone that can speak and communicate and somebody that can can pray effectively or give words of knowledge or whatever it is, Lord. If you're reminding people of some of the gifts that they've, get, they've been given by you, I pray you just give us boldness to walk that out and to, and to be the type of people that you're talking about to the high priest. You're like, hey, ask my followers. They know what I've said. You had confidence that your message would be carried on. Lord, may we today in 2023 give you that confidence that we're actually working to establish your kingdom here in this city uh, and also beyond. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen.